Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Good morning, fellas. My name is Ronnie Cordray. I'm on our men's team here, and I would like to welcome all of you to Man Challenge. Any guy in the room, this is the first time you've ever been in Man Challenge, don't even know the secret handshake yet? Okay, see a couple hands. Hey, if you saw a guy, just raise his hand, high five him, give him knuckle bumps, don't give him an awkwardly extended full frontal man hug. We want him to come back. But um, hey, you're in good company this morning. We are so thrilled to be gathering for Man Challenge. I want to tell you briefly what Man Challenge is about. It's a bunch of dudes who link arms together, and we are trying to surround ourselves with those on the same mission as us and those uh, who Jesus calls us to pursue becoming. One of our values around here is developing a next step of faith, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but um, that is developed. It's not a magic prayer you pray. It's not a personality type. It's not a number on an Enneagram. It's pursuing Jesus as Lord. There's always a next step of faith, not to prove anything, but to, um, uh, to obey him. And so, so thrilled that we're all here gathered this morning. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right in this morning. God, thank you for these men. I thank you for your grace I thank you for being the God who is for us. We thank you for sending your best so that we can experience your best. And so God, I pray that your spirit would flow freely in our midst this morning, that regardless what any of us walked in here with, that you would remind us of what is most true about us and that we would leave this place this morning ready, equipped to charge intentionally and faithfully after you. We give you praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so it was, it was uh, December 2019 and January 2020, and I had began to develop this nightly ritual about midnight, literally, I would go, uh, our family was all tucked in. I would go into our family room. I'd flip the switch to our gas fireplace. Thanks to Dale Finn, it turned on. I would sit down, I would grab the remote, I would turn our TV on, and I would turn it on to YouTube. And I had this library and it was called Worship. And I had four songs that I would listen to over and over and over again. One of them was, I'm gonna see a victory, or see a victory. Another one was, give me Jesus. Surrounded, 
And a fourth one was good, good father. The truths proclaimed in all four of those worship songs were soothing. They were soothing to my soul. And they actually became the cry of my heart. Because what I forgot to tell you was that during that period, our family was smack dab in the middle of the mess. And the pain almost seemed unbearable. But every night, about midnight, I'd go in there and these songs became the cry of my heart. Now God in his grace heard the cry of not just my heart, the cry of many. And he brought freedom from our mess. And praise God for that. Fast forward 10 days later, Literally, 10 days later, I'm sitting in this very space in our family room and and my friend Simon Bevy, who's a missionary from Kenya, who was staying in our house for a few days, he literally said these words to me. He said, Ronnie, God always uses your pain to encourage others. Now I'll add an important asterisk to that if you let him. If you let him, God will use your pain to encourage others. This morning, we are going to be focusing on an incredible passage of Scripture. Very excited to be teeing this up for you guys to unpack this morning. We're going to be in Acts 16, 25, and following, and we're going to be focusing on three truths God uses to wreck the roof when we embrace the mess. First truth is God uses pain to advance the gospel. The second truth is Jesus rescues us, and the third truth is Jesus heals us. I want you to listen to a couple excerpts from this passage that we're going to be diving into for just a minute. Just listen to these excerpts real quick. About midnight, Paul and Silas were singing, praying and singing hymns to God. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Go in peace. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? I mean, doesn't sound very messy to me. Doesn't sound like a mess at all. I didn't realize that all I have to do is to stay up till about midnight to pray and sing hymns. And the next thing I know, there's going to be a knock on my door from my neighbor, James, and he's going to say, hey, uh, Ronnie, I... I heard you singing, um, it's after midnight, I thought I heard something along the lines of, give me Jesus, a bit pitchy by the way, um, tell me, tell me more about this, tell me about this Jesus you were singing about. In fact, what do I need to do to be saved by this Jesus? You know, if only, 
If only that were both how it works and it was always that easy. But it's interesting that when we dive into Scripture, if we're not careful, it's easy to, to miss, to jump over significant truths without proper context. So I want us to dive in first. This first truth that God uses when we embrace the mess, that God uses pain to advance the gospel. We're going to pick up in verse 25. It says this. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening Paul and Silas were not in their family room with their gas fireplace on and YouTube pumping out worship tunes. No, they were in prison, which leads us to a natural question, logical question. Why were they in prison? Unpaid parking tickets, fraudulent financial records, and avoiding paying taxes from their hit reality show? No, that's not why they're in prison. To understand why they're in prison, we need to go back and fill in a little context, which is found in verses 16 to 24. Now, I'm not going to read all those verses, but here's the Cliff Notes version. Paul and Silas were going about from place to place uh, trying to advance the gospel message. And there's this girl who starts following them everywhere they go who could predict the future, which sounds pretty awesome, right? I mean, sounds like maybe even answered prayer. Paul and Silas could look at her and be like, hey, can you give me the winning Powerball numbers? Boom, life is good. Hey, give me some flawless stock tips. Boom, I mean, this girl she could predict exactly who was going to win the Super Bowl and exactly which referee was going to make sure that team won. Whoa, too soon? Too soon? Okay, my bad. She could predict the future, which sounds like pretty awesome, but not awesome because this girl was being influenced by a demonic spirit, which is not from Jesus. And this went on for many days. Now, here's the interesting thing. What she was shouting was true because what she was shouting was this. These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So it's weird that she was speaking truth, but this went on for days and it was basically a way for her to heckle them even with truth. And so she was being a distraction from Paul and Silas uh, being able to actually tell how to be saved. The bottom line was Paul gets so frustrated by this that he turns around and looks at this girl and, and tells this spirit that's dwelling in her, says this, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And boom, the spirit left her along with her ability to predict the, 
the future. I mean, this is when everybody's supposed to join in and sing Kumbaya and God is good. But that's not what happened. Because see, the, um, her legal guardians, Scripture actually says she was a slave girl. So her, her owners, they were ticked. They were not praising God because, see, now they're going to have to go out and get a real job because she had been her paycheck for them simply going around and following her. So they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them in front of authorities and, and accused Paul and Silas of disrupting the city's peace, which ironically is the very thing Paul and Silas were coming to bring to this city through Jesus. So you see, they're, they're falsely accused. They're trying to bring the very thing they're being accused of removing. It's just a weird thing. And you'd like to think the crowd would be like, this is nonsense. But then it says the crowd joined in. And, and before Paul and Silas can even blink, they're being stripped naked and they're beaten. Technically, Scripture tells us that they're severely flogged. Now, that's not a term that we use in this um, parenting timeout society. But flogging was brutal. Then they were just not just thrown into prison. They were thrown into the inner cell of prison with their feet fastened while being carefully guarded by the jailer as if the fasteners and the inner sanction of the cell was not enough. Now, let's pause here because even that, we can miss the brutality here. Severely flogged is what Scripture says. And a flogging was, you might see a picture pop up here. It, was, it included a leather handle, leather strips or, or pieces of rope with small metal balls and pieces of sharp metal, small pieces of bone at the tips. This is what was commonly used for a flogging. Such a device could easily cause disfigurement, serious trauma such as ripping pieces of flesh from the body or even loss of an eye. The people who were doing the flogging weren't particularly careful. Besides it being painful and and a bloody ordeal, it was humiliating. You were brought out in public and you were literally stripped naked, not down to your underoos, like naked. And the whole town's out there watching this brutality um, being inflicted on you. The force, historians say that the force was enough to knock a grown man down, one blow. That's why they didn't just have somebody stand there. They would attach them to a pole so that it couldn't knock them over and it would hurt even more. It wasn't completely uncommon for a person to die during a flogging. Sometimes their insides would fall out. The max was 40 strokes with one of these devices. But the interesting thing about that is the person doing the flogging knew that if they accidentally did 41, they would be punished. So they always um, were safe and 
stopped at 39. And then prison, you know, as if that wasn't bad enough, Roman imprisonment, it was horrific. Uh, Bleeding wounds from floggings went untreated. It's not like they gave you a shower and a medical check and then put you in a place with a cot and a shower and three hot meals a day. The bleeding wounds from floggings went untreated. Prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist chains. Um, Blood-stained clothing, it stayed on. It wasn't replaced. The inner cell of a prison was especially dark, unbearably cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, and sickening stench from few toilets made sleeping difficult and waking hours just flat out miserable. Most prisoners had to provide their own food from outside sources if they wanted to eat. In the inner cell, it was, it was not just used for extra security, it's also where torture was common and took place in the inner, inner cell. So let's read verse 25 again now with this context because this is what's just happened to Paul and Silas and it says in verse 25 about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. It doesn't say the other prisoners were watching them sing right? Because remember, it's, it's dark in that inner cell. But I think it's safe to say that these prisoners had seen the condition that Paul and Silas walked into that inner cell. Because how prison cells were set up, it kind of was like the inner cell. You walked through the other ones to get there. And so imagine all these prisoners seeing Paul and Silas like just brutal flogging put in there. And before they know it, perhaps, um, you know, these other prisoners were accustomed to, um, to men walking into that inner cell, but rarely did they walk out. Usually they were carried out. And so that was, you know, it was kind of like the We know what's happening to that dude. And it may be even perhaps less than 24 hours from when Paul and Silas found themselves in the inner cell, perhaps less than 24 hours that in that same inner cell that the other prisoners had heard, you know, screaming and men begging for a quick death because they knew it was inevitable. Verse 25 says the other prisoners were listening. The question I have for us is why? Why were these other prisoners listening to two dead men walking? I think it's clear in Scripture because of what's led up. It's because Paul and Silas were distinctly different from all the other prisoners who had gone into that inner cell. Paul and Silas were facing what seemed to be inevitable death. 
yet they had this peace that surpasses all understanding about them. Like that still makes sense. And echoing from the inner cell, there is this unimaginable sound. It's joyful. The kind like that James refers to in James 1, 2, when he's writing James from prison also, when he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, floggings, beatings, falsely accused. This goes on. And the next thing you know, about midnight, these prisoners, these other prisoners, start hearing this sweet sound resounding from this inner cell. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I know serves only, knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. And I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's a table that you prepare for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body and the blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. And you tell me, that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. And when I come to die, Oh, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this world but give me Jesus that's the sound these other prisoners were listening to from bloody battered Paul and Silas in the inner cell. And then before they know it, verse 26 happens. Suddenly there's an earthquake, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, 
he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Remember this jailer just a few verses earlier in 23, remember what he was commanded with? Guard them carefully. And he wakes up to see all of them totally able to walk out. And see, back then, if a prisoner escaped, the life of the guard was demanded in his place. And so this jailer, Scripture's telling us, is getting ready to take matters into his own hands to shorten his shame and his distress. Verse 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Have you ever had a, a broken rib or a bruised rib or you've, you've been coughing for days so hard or you throw your back out and like to even laugh, much less to yell. It's like, it's like oh no, like have you, ever, you ever been there where you're like, eh, no, somebody tells you a joke, you're like, don't, no, don't make me laugh, it hurts. Like imagine that on steroids and then more steroids. And it says that even though that was Paul's condition, it says he shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Not some of us are still here or most of us are here. All of us are here. Don't do it. Man, keep in mind, Paul and Silas still in excruciating pain, but they are so focused on advancing the gospel message even though they didn't know physically what their future was getting ready to look like. They were so dialed in on their purpose of advancing the gospel message that they say stop. Perhaps to the very jailer who had just taunted them and told them how he was getting ready to torture him as soon as he took a quick cat nap. And the same jailer, they're like, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. See, God's will was not for Paul and Silas to be happy. It was for this jailer to get saved. And Paul and Silas knew that and were dedicated to that. It was their willingness to go through the mess that allowed them uh, to experience verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. So, Remember, it says he called for lights, right? Why? Because the inner cell was dark without light. And it says he rushed in, which reminds us that Paul and Silas were in that inner cell. So he had to rush in there. Verse 30. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This was after fallen, trembling before Paul and Silas. What must I do to be saved? See, guys, when another man witnesses men standing with unshakable confidence and boldness for their beliefs in Jesus, no matter what, it's highly likely that unbeliever, unbelievers like this jailer are going to take notice and are going to want to know about this Jesus that you're going all in with. 
One of our values here within Southeast Men's is developing your competence of and confidence in who Jesus is. And I want to tell you why this is so important. This is so important because when you're going about outside of this room and you are trying to live a life marked as distinctly different, people are going to take notice. And when people take notice, you know, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. It doesn't say, always be ready when somebody says, tell me about your Jesus. For you. Uh, well, um, why don't you come with me to Man Challenge and they'll tell you. No, we want you to be equipped to tell somebody for the reason, the hope that you have, not the man with the microphone. Man, that's powerful. And this leads to a second truth that God uses to wreck the roof when we embrace the mess. Jesus rescues us. Jesus rescues us. Verse 31, it says, They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. This is a concise statement of the way of salvation. They essentially told this jailer, you know, just like how this earthquake just rescued us from the bondage in this inner cell, our Jesus has the power to release you from the shackles of sin that your life has produced. Like they weren't pointing to themselves as the rescuers. They were pointed to Jesus. It was a concise way of salvation. They said there is a great power in the cross. Jesus rescues us from the same type of bondage of sin and exchanges what we deserve. Eternity in hell separated completely from our perfect heavenly father with freedom, grace, forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, and eternity in heaven someday with him. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Paul and Silas went on to explain the gospel more thoroughly. And they all believed in Christ and were saved. But here's the thing. Paul and Silas, they're still in pain. They're still bloody while they're sharing about Jesus. Which leads us to this third truth that God uses to wreck the roof when we embrace the mess. Jesus heals us. Isaiah 53, 5, it's a great verse. You might want to write down, it says this, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. Now let's read verse 33. It says, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. At that hour of the night, the jailer washed their wounds. What hour do you think that was? I mean, let's just do some basic math here. It was about midnight when they were singing hymns and praying. Then an earthquake happens. And after the dust of all that settled, then the jailer has a conversation with them. And then he takes them 
to his house and they thoroughly explain the gospel. And now he's, I mean, it's, it's the middle of the night. Has to be. And it says at that hour of the night, the jailer washed their wounds. Now my question for us is what, what do you think Paul and Silas talked about while he was washing their wounds? I, I, I think when we look at Scripture, I think we can be confident that while this jailer was washing their open, dirty, bloody wounds, which had to sting and send shooting sharp pains from the lightest of touch. But I imagine Paul said to this jailer in a voice that he and his entire family, a voice that he and his entire family could hear, you are washing our wounds that will fight off infection and allow our skin to heal, and we are grateful for that. But Jesus gave us this beautiful gift called baptism that symbolizes us dying with him in his death. And the water symbolizes, uh, when you're immersed in it, it symbolizes that Jesus is washing away all of your sins and healing all of your wounds. And when you're raised up out of that water, man, the old you is dead. It symbolizes that you're now alive in Christ. You're a new creation. And then I love this. It doesn't say, then the jailer said, well, you know what? I'd, I'd like to take some time to think about that. It's not ready. Now he said, it says, then immediately. He and all his family were baptized. Now I'm a firm believer when you get the man, you get the family. There's exceptions to that. But in general, when God captures a guy's heart, his family follows. We see that true here with the jailer. Because by the way, when, when he took them home, uh, Paul and Silas to his home, right? It's, you know, middle of the night. I don't know what time your all's bedtime is with your kids at home, but I'm pretty sure he had to wake his wife and his kids up and say, hey, listen, these guys saved me from harming myself. And they also are telling me this crazy life-changing news. Everybody ought to bet right? And they got out. And then it says immediately, he and his family were baptized. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now this jailer, now this jailer was filled with the same kind of joy that Paul and Silas had displayed from the inner cell the kind that is not based on circumstances or emotions, but based on a relationship with Jesus that is unchanging. And then I love the last three words in verse 36. Go in peace. Go in peace. It's impossible, men, for you to leave this place this morning and experience the peace of God unless you first make peace with God. That's a promise from Scripture. So my question for you is, do you want to be marked as distinctly different? Do you want to be that kind of man? 
in a culture that's so confused, that's so lost, that's so desperate for the good news of the gospel, yet looking in all the wrong places? Like, do you want to be that guy who is marked at work, on the golf course, in your neighborhood, in your home? Marked as, man, he's distinctly different. His life's not rainbows and butterflies. In fact, life flogs him all the time. But he has this unshakable joy about him. He has these things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. And it's, it's not like he's trying to manufacture those things. It's like it just seeps out of his pores. Do you want, you want to be marked as that kind of guy, as that kind of man? Man, I sure do. In a culture that's confused on what pronouns to associate as. In a culture where parents are, are demanding schools to put litter boxes in restrooms because their kids are associating as furries, as cats? Like, like what, what in the world? It's not surprising because when we steer away from the only one who can rescue us and heal us, that's what we get. But he says, go in peace. And that is what Jesus so desperately wants every one of us in this room this morning to leave with. Regardless what is on your calendar today, regardless of what hard conversations are in your near future, he wants you to go in peace. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. When life flogs you, and spoiler alert, it will. Many of you in here are like, it is nonstop. Some of you in this room, you've, you've buried a child. Unbearable pain. Some of you have had things done to you that, that just defy just the basics of humanity. But when life flogs you, when the enemy tries to use life to kill, steal, destroy, discourage, dis, distract, all these things, make your life a hymn of praise, like Paul and Silas. Make your life a hymn of praise. Allow God to use your pain. We all have it. We're all messy. Allow God to use your pain to encourage others. You want to be marked as distinctly different is to be like the jailer and to believe in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, allowing Jesus to rescue you from yourself, which we all need rescuing. And it's all because of the cross. He went to the cross and did what we were unable to do so that we could live in freedom. And so finally, to be marked as distinctly different and to be like this jailer 
is to respond immediately to allowing Jesus to heal you from the inside out. See, Jesus rescues us through the cross. Jesus heals us through baptism. And some of you might be wondering, what's this weird-shaped hot tub behind me? What is that all about? It's, it's a portable baptistry is what it is. And um, huge thanks to Andy Potter and some of our facilities who, who literally wrecked the roof to have this here. The heating element was broken, and because... We love you guys in warm water. They went to a lot of hard work so that um, our decision wasn't a faith of test um, in the Arctic ice cold. But hopefully it's not disappointing to you, but there's nothing magical about the water. It's literally just tap water. But I want to explain to you what baptism is. Maybe, maybe you, it's like, I've never really even understood what baptism is. I see people... Um, the end of services, can't hear what they're saying now, but um, what, what's that all about? Baptism, it's a gift from Jesus. Jesus was baptized to model for us what to do to follow so that he can heal us from the inside out. Scripture tells us that when we're baptized, that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us to become our guide to be our counselor, to become our best friend, what Jesus was for his disciples, Holy Spirit becomes to us. Baptism is, is what allows that to happen, and it's this beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's why we, we immerse, you know. In the Greek, it's baptizo. It literally means to dip, to dunk. Um, and so when we take you back, it symbolizes you are dying with Jesus, symbolizes it. Death on the cross, it's, it's symbolizing that. And when you're held underwater, usually we, we wait till the bubbles stop and then we give a 10 count. No. It symbolizes that you're being washed clean. Symbolizes. You're washed clean of past, present, and any future sin that you commit. That's why you don't have to get rebaptized every week, like taking communion every week. It's because it symbolizes what he already did for us. And then, man, when you're brought up out of that water, it symbolizes that, hey, the old knucklehead you is dead. You're a new creation. And that's good. That's Good news. That's the good news of the gospel. We don't baptize people in the name of Southeast Christian Church. You want to know why? As much as I love this place, this place can't save anybody. We're the conduit to who can rescue and who can bring healing. And this morning, we have an opportunity here in just a minute for any of you men in this room who are in here and I'm like, Sitting there going, man, I knew I should have skipped this morning. No, it's, it's not an accident you're in here. And this isn't a guilt thing. Man, it's an opportunity. It's, a, it's an opportunity to be healed from the inside out. Not, you know, behavior modification, fake it till you make it. Like, because of what he did, we're, we're receiving it. And so this is called man challenge. So I'm going to give you a man challenge. 
If you're in here this morning and you have never made that personal decision to say yes to going public with your faith and being baptized through Christian baptism, I want to challenge you to model what the jailer modeled and immediately come forward and be baptized. At this time, Travis Graff from Austin's Table is going to come on up here and he's going to be baptized in a few minutes by Jack Pilgrim. But listen, guys, uh, I know a lot of you typically leave this, this room um, for your group time and, and I love that. But I'm going to ask this morning that, that you hang out in here at least until um, we've been able to celebrate all the baptisms. And uh, this is a great morning. It's a great morning. Some of you walked in here having no idea that you were going to walk out being completely healed from the inside out, and that is worth celebrating. So let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the power of the cross, the power of the empty grave. We thank you that you loved us so much that you refuse to settle for your best. And so God, I pray for courage for every person, every man in here who, for whatever reason, is settling for less than your best. Through Christian baptism, Lord, pray you bring about a great victory in this room this morning in your name and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 